There's nothing wrong with capitalism. It's mono-capitalism. Uh, one way of thinking about just in financial capital and, and a mono-capital mindset um, that's really gotten us into degenerative culture, de degenerative economics. What is really different about the regenerative approach is not that uh, it's just looking for net positive from, you know, often, often stated as from footprint to handprint. How do we go from doing less harm to doing more good, but really making net positive systemic change? How can you come in and in relationship by relationship, conversation by conversation, really come in with a life-centered capacity and a life-centered approach to doing what you're doing and building what you're building and growing what you're growing? Hello and welcome to the Coconut Thinking Podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Freud, and today's guest is Cordell Jacks. Cordell is the co-founder and CEO of Regenerative Capital Group, which is a Canadian-based fund and accelerator that trains entrepreneurs in an alternative entrepreneurial career path through ETA, or Entrepreneurship Through Acquisition. RCG acquires businesses that are ripe for change, that are looking for change, so that the entrepreneur with no investment capital required from them can earn meaningful equity in the business if they take on a regenerative journey that is looking at all material areas of impact the business has which can be utilized as levers for net positive value creation for all stakeholders human social environmental and so forth across the ecosystem this is a conversation that is rooted in entrepreneurship and finance but it also allows us to think about ecosystems and how our actions, our decisions, and the way we approach something that maybe might have been in the past narrative with a new way of looking at it, with a new narrative, might just allow us to consider different ways. Talk a lot about regeneration. It's a word that's really thrown around. And rather than having to find complex definitions, we might take it more as an approach to life an approach where indeed we are contributing to everything in the ecosystem and we're making sure that there's very little waste, waste in this case being extraction and degeneration. I look really forward to your thoughts on this podcast episode, thoughts about how the finance world, the world of investment might connect to other organizations and education and the way we are with one another because a very important message in this conversation is the fact that we do it moment by moment that there are long-term ways of thinking but also moment by moment ways of interacting with the world check out our website www.coconut-thinking.com you'll find articles podcasts resources again that's www.coconut-thinking.com and i'll leave space for my conversation with cornell Hi, Cordell. You have come into my world through various means, and I guess we've bumped into the same people uh, over in the regenerative space. I'm really keen to find out a lot of what you're doing in terms of the different models of regeneration and, and investment impact and, and action that, that you have, and really this new approach that might be something that we want to consider, given the fact that we are in a world right now where there are so many responses we have to make and those responses start with approaches so i'll leave it open to the first question that i ask which is who are you and what story do you want to tell so thank you benjamin and thank you for having me on i uh, my name is cordell jacks and i'm a son of the prairies in canada i was born in in winnipeg manitoba 
the cold, long winters and hot summers. And I was born to two very entrepreneurial parents. I have a, a younger brother. And I grew out of uh, a beautiful community there. I went to business school there. And I share a bit of this background because it's it's really important to, to what I'm up to now. I, I was recruited out of business school before graduating. Uh, it was kind of a top job there. And this gentleman had set up a, a program at Canada's top financial services company. And so coming out of business school, I, I, thought, I thought I'd made it. I, I thought I got the gig. And uh, very quickly, I realized, you know, this this wasn't the work I wanted to be doing, making the rich richer. And uh, started with a, a bit of a, a quarter life crisis early in early in my life and uh, took off, did did a little bit of traveling and came back to an opportunity to run a social finance fund. And that really gave me the opportunity to learn about creative financing and alternative financing. And it was around that time that I got to meet my partner, my now wife, and we we decided we were going to head off and, and travel. And that that took us into what was seven years of an incredible adventure working in international development. We were tasked with the opportunity to create markets for water and sanitation for the two and a half billion people that are without. And, and that's where I really got a, a, an incredible education in human-centered design. Kind of felt as I learned about that, that I was ripped off in business school, not having learned about that. And it really opened my, my eyes to, uh, to designing uh, for context. And uh, after about seven years there, my, my partner and I, my then wife, wanted to start a family, wanted to move back to Canada to be closer to both of our parents, and uh, moved to Vancouver, spent a few years in clean tech, ag tech, circular economy, uh, ocean plastics, which is what brought me to, to Bali, to where you live, uh, to, to start a program there. And uh, then as our, our daughter was born, uh, who's now almost five, uh, we just decided, you know, whatever this next generation needs, they need to be in rhythm with uh, the wider wider rhythms of life and uh, in deeper connection. So we moved out to Vancouver Island, where I am now. I'm, I'm very thankful to live, work, and play on the traditional lands of the Wewakai, Wewakam, and Homoko people here. And uh, since then, we've had a son who's now six months old, and so I'm a proud parent, a proud father. And just as we moved out here, uh, COVID started. And I changed careers. And I, at that time, I, I launched a DreamWork business. I started teaching a lifelong passion of teaching people how to access, remember, and utilize their dreams for greater creativity, greater learning, greater insight. And I was doing that uh, throughout the COVID phase when, interestingly enough and serendipitously, that man who had recruited me out of business school 20 years ago, he happens to now live 10 minutes north of me in this rural area on Vancouver Island. And he had just sold one of his, his companies and came to me, inviting me to help him with a social impact thesis. And uh, so I'll speak more to you about that later in our conversation. But uh, I now find myself as co-founder and CEO of a group called Regenerative Capital Group and uh, father, son, husband, and now someone who is looking to deepen his connection and community here. Uh, and so that brings us to our present. I'm really interested in so many of these concepts that you're bringing up, and maybe we can unpack them. You bring up social finance, you bring up, as you mentioned, social impact, regenerative capital are words that we don't always put together. So going into that uh, is, is going to be super exciting and, and, and fruitful. But before we get there, I'll, I'll ask you, what does learning mean to you? 
Yeah, I, I love that you asked this question. I have listened to so many of your guests uh, speak about this. And in preparing for this conversation, you know, uh, I went down many rabbit holes of my own thinking and, and research, um, but really as, as plainly as, as I can put it, or as most resonant as it is for me, it's really a process and a continuous refinement of learning your abilities and, and really learning to live into your unique self, your, 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 your fullest potential. I'm, uh, I'm influenced by the works of, of Gaffney and others who really talk about unique self. Uh, I know you've had Zach Stein and others, but really I think that the most we can hope for for ourselves, the most I can hope for for my children and, and those around me is that they each live into their fullest potential and bring their uniqueness out. And, and that's what we want from each other. And this idea of living into our fullest potential, I'm going to connect now to regenerative capital and see if there's any connections there. Now, I've heard a lot of people talk about exploitative capital, extractive capital, all of these words that are actually qualifying capital. So maybe we can break into what capital is and not having to go you know, through you know, big Marxist I, I mm. notions here, but, but what exactly is capital, which is a word that we play with, but don't always necessarily know how to grasp. And what is regenerative capital in contrast to extractive capital? Sure. Maybe I'll I'll uh, I'll take a winding road to to answer that question, and I'll give you the context as to how I came into even knowing and understanding uh, the term regenerative. So uh, about two years ago now, when this this old mentor of mine reached out to me and said, "Look, I, I've come into some some more money. Uh, I'd really like to focus on wider impact. I know you've spent your career in social impact and innovation. Can you help me?" I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm into a lot of other things from when we last spoke. I'm doing dream work. I've helped set up a plant medicine retreat here on Vancouver Island. I had just thrown my hat in the ring for the executive director's role of MAPS Canada, the multidisciplinary association for psychedelic studies. You know, I'm into a lot of consciousness work. And uh, he said, great, I'm into entrepreneurship. We need conscious entrepreneurs. How can we bring those two together? And so I started uh, giving him a little bit of time and, and doing some research. and. Uh, quickly on this design principle around supporting entrepreneurship and, and, and the design was for Canada here. We looked at, well, what's entrepreneurship? We've got a fantastic ecosystem of startups, venture capital, incubators and accelerators everywhere you shake a stick at. Um, what can we really do there? And, you know, in some of the research we were doing, we're going, well, yeah, entrepreneurship is great. There's so many good things about it, but there's also grind culture. There's also unicorn mentality. You know, we will allow eight or 10 or eight or nine to fail for that one win. That's not really what where we want to play. And, you know, the avatars being my daughter and his grandchildren, that's not really what we want for them if they're going into this world. And so we really started looking at where else might we be able to, to make a mark. And we learned about uh, this alternative entrepreneurship path that's been growing in the United States called ETA or entrepreneurship through acquisition. Instead of doing the risky startup, uh, why not we look? Why not look at the macro economy around us, which is the vast majority of our economy is made of small businesses. The vast majority of people are employed by small and medium enterprises. The vast majority of those enterprises are ultimately uh, run by baby boomers who are, are retiring in this next decade. Instead of doing startup, why don't you go buy a small medium enterprise that is looking for ownership succession and ultimately 
um, you know, take that forward and take a good company and make it great. And so we said, great, that's, that's something we can nurture an ecosystem here in Canada with. Why don't we do that? And so my business partner is willing to put capital, uh, some of his finance into this. And when we, we talked about capital and, and where we could really make a mark, you know, it, it comes down to um, energy. You know, what at its simplest term, in its simplest forms, you know, capital is, is often thought of as money, but there's social capital, there's financial capital, there's all different sorts of capital. Unfortunately, our economy and our civilization really emphasizes financial capital over all these other multi, uh, multi-capital states. And so our question was, you know, how do we support not only entrepreneurs with, with financial capital, but with the energy, with the advisory support, with the ecosystem they need? And so in, in answering your question, you know, we're, we're looking at um, there's nothing wrong with capitalism. Um, there's many good things of ideation and entrepreneurship. It's, it's mono-capitalism, uh, one way of thinking about just in financial capital and, and a mono-capital mindset um, that's really gotten us into degenerative culture, de- degenerative economics, whereas you know a multi-capital, multi-perspective, a multi-contextual way of supporting each other is, is what we really wanted to bring to the table. And so as we as we started saying, yeah, let's let's support entrepreneurs to to buy companies, um, we really asked ourselves, okay, well, what what do we want them to evolve these companies towards? Uh, what's the impact? And you know, at, at going into this, we kind of took a, a scan of the environment. Well, I've I've played in the social impact space for most of my career. We can look at the Millennium Development Goals, the Sustainable Development Goals. We've had. CSR, corporate social responsibility, CSV, creating shared value. We've had B Corps, we have ESG, we have all of these different facets. And we were going, you know, what, what criteria do we want to buy companies for entrepreneurs for? What do we want to hold them to? Where do we want them to evolve these businesses towards? And that's really where uh, a lot of the, the zeitgeist moment that is happening around regenerative capitalism came into mine and our periphery and your podcast and, and lots of others that uh, you were speaking about that we've connected to really started us on our learning curve uh, towards what, what it means to be regenerative in our capital approach. And so maybe I'll stop there. This is quite different from, say, a private equity firm that would go in and identify an organization and come in and buy it and probably try to quickly turn around profit. So you talk about the, the multi-capital society that we have. Um, this kind of makes me think a little bit about the principles of nature and monocrop and then the diversity in terms of of, of uh, wilderness or the diversity of, of even food that grows. Maybe you can make some connections here because it is the regenerative space about how this might be based on nature's principles. Yeah, exactly. So there's a couple of different pieces to speak to here. I mean, a lot of the regenerative movement is is moving from that human-centered design, which I was so enamored with. And, you know, as I moved into um, really circular economy, understanding how design can be used in that wider life cycle approach to what is now catching on as as, uh, life-centered design. And and that's really at the core of most regenerative principles. And obviously what you've spoken about a lot in your podcast, you know, how do we align our education? How do we align our business strategies? How do we align our capital to those wider systems that we're nested into, you know, the 3.8 billion years of evolution that have taught us to be interdependent and resilient and evolutionary. 
And so really that's that's a lot of the approach that we're taking. And, and you know, in all humility, uh, we have a lot to learn as we go into this and, and we're launching our, our fund here with our first cohort that's just about to begin with us in 2024. We are ultimately, you know, we've put out a flower. We've put out a nice flower, which is, hey, we want to buy you a company. This is not an easy path. This is a path of entrepreneurship, but we will buy you this company. We will invest equity in this company for you as so long as you take it on an evolutionary journey. Take a good business, honor the legacy and the stewardship that's been there from the founding owners or the principals that are at hand. They've done their best. They may not have had the widest lens to you know, all material areas of impact of the business, but how can you take that business and really map its ecosystem? map its employees, its clients, its value chain holders, the communities it's nested in, any of the uh, environmental impacts that you know it draws resources from or, or has impacts on, how can you map all of that? Really look at the responsibilities of the business and start to say, how can we address some of the bigger existential polycrisis issues that we're facing as an organization with the assets and with the legacy that we're inheriting here? And that's that's really the the journey we've put forth and the journey we're going on with these entrepreneurs. Aside from private equity that usually has playbooks, this is how you you know pull levers and and do things to extract greater value from a business. We're going in saying we we don't have prescriptive ways of doing this. This is a learning journey that we're going to be on together. And if this is truly going to uh, if we're going to emerge bringing out the unique potential of these entrepreneurs and these ecosystems that they're going to be acquiring and inheriting, then we can't be prescriptive. We have to let this be emergent. And how are you going to take these legacy cultures, the people, the places, and, and really bring solidarity and ambassadorship towards the bigger issues, towards the bigger purpose that all of us want to live into? And so really going back to your question about learning, you know, how can we connect that to the deeper purpose each of us are, are feeling towards the wider context we're all living in today? And I want to maybe contrast this as well, or maybe even make some connections, but see how it might be uh, a different approach to the world from what we hear sometimes about the triple bottom line, which is pro profit, planet, and people. And this is something that in the world of sustainability management has, has you know, really gotten a bit of traction and it's seen as, as so much better than just looking at profit. But maybe you might want to, just in order for us to get a little bit more granular, show the differences in, in your approach and the similarities and then the triple bottom line approach. Yeah, the first thing to, to state is all of these approaches are great approaches. You know, I've, I've certified B Corps. I've been a, a advanced co-op developer in my life. I've worked at ESG. Like I said, all of these components have been really important. And so I think it's, it's very important not to be divisive and say, no, this one approach is better than the other. This is evolutionary and we're all trying to use business and economy as a force for good in, in what we're doing here. But what is really different about the regenerative approach is not that uh, it's just looking for net positive from, you know, often, often stated as from footprint to handprint. How do we go from doing less harm to doing more good, but really making net positive systemic change? How do we not just look at one siloed aspect of a product or service or business line, but really getting into the systemic forces of social environmental systems that we're playing in and really saying, you know, how can we be a catalyst here? And like most system change, systems change efforts, we can, we can map out a system and we can pull on different, different levers. We don't quite know what that, the ripple effects are going to be in what we do here. And we don't know the, the dynamics of context change that are going to happen. 
But if we start to head with a, a North Star direction towards the impact and purpose that we're, we're trying to take, that's ultimately where we're going to go. And so it's a bit more than a linear approach in what we're trying to do here. It's, it's far more emergent and, and far more systemic. And I love this idea of North Star direction, or maybe having a compass statement, or this is this is a different way of looking at the purpose or the spirit or or the the energy of a business rather than having, say, a mission or a vision, which is um, which kind of gets us sometimes caught up into that linear thinking. Maybe you can go a little bit more into what that might mean to have a North Star direction and how that connects to emergence. Yeah, well, quite quite honestly, uh, you know, this is part of our our learning curve right now. Um, I've got to say that a big part of of the context in which we're playing in seems to be uh, a historic journey that that I've been on in my career. You know, I've I've made a couple of of big pivots in my career from finance to social finance to international development to clean tech and circular economies, and I have to say. Every time I do that, I start out again as a new learner. And there's a lot of imposter syndrome and a lot of, uh, if you know the swan principle, look calm and graceful on top, a paddle like heck underneath. Um, there's a little bit of that here too. And it's the first time in my life that I have to say that uh, I'm, not, I'm not playing with imposter syndrome here. I know that I don't have the answers. We don't have the answers here and again. Uh, if we were to come in and prescribe, this is the way to do it, or this is the answer, or these are the KPIs that we're, we're aiming for, I think it would bring more of that same type of industrial, Newtonian, materialistic thinking, commodified approaches to, to solutions uh, that have gotten us into some of the issues that we've got here. Uh, and so in, in going forward with this, this platform that we're creating and with these entrepreneurs who are you know, turning their careers over to to working with us and going on a journey with us. Ultimately, we're saying, what does it mean to have impact in our daily energy, our daily efforts, in our careers, in our economics? What does it mean to use the platforms that you know we're going to honor as vehicles for change? And that's that truly comes down to the the thesis of, um, you know, we think the best opportunity for the brightest minds is giving them tractionable platforms, tractionable good companies to do this in. And so a big part of the success of the ETA model that we've seen in the past 30, 35 years as it's been emerging has been not to come in and say, this is what you should do uh, as an investor to entrepreneurs, but to empower the entrepreneur and say, here are some principles. And this is what we truly love about the regenerative space is here are some ideas. Here's how life works. Here are some of the bigger principles that get us towards supporting capacity and ecosystems. How can you use these? How can you take this, this new ecosystem on a journey forward? So uh, it's going to be an incredible learning journey, uh, especially with this first cohort. And this is so coherent with what you mentioned earlier about everyone's uniqueness and, and growing into our unique potential and how there is no model that you can take off the shelf. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of putting words in your mouth, but that's that's what you alluded to. It's a question of where we start and where we might go, much like life emerges uh, based on certain constraints and certain possibilities. At this point, I'd love to bring this a little bit towards schools here. And, and I know that the, on this podcast, we go in different places, but there's always a little bit of an anchor in schools. And I'm particularly interested here in the word impact that you're using. Because in schools, and, and really this goes on to any kind of, well, not any kind, but many human resources model and training and development and, and uh, performance assessment, 
we look at, at kids or people as individuals, and we look at how well they've mastered skills. But it's this idea of impact that actually opens us towards the ecosystem, that opens us towards the mark that we leave on others and how others feel our actions, which take us beyond the individual. I'd love to try to create some parallels here between what you're working with with enterprises as well as students in terms of thinking not in, not in how good we are because of money or, or growth or whatever it might be, but rather in terms of the marks we leave on the world. Yeah, that's that's a great question. Let me come at that in uh, maybe a, a different angle. So part of our, our impact and investment thesis as a fund and, and really our theory of change here is that we truly believe that in the next decade, we have the greatest opportunity towards a transition to a re regenerative economy. And we believe that's happening through what's been deemed this silver tsunami. So again, if, if most baby boomers or, or small business owners are transitioning in this next decade, the vast majority of them do not have a succession plan. The vast majority of this is the lifeblood of our in Canada and most economies worldwide. This is our biggest lever for change. This is an inflection point, not just for ownership transition, but to use the heart of our economy for upgrading, hopefully, the capital, the patience, the flexibility around it, the leadership, a next generation leader that can, can really think to wider value creation beyond the bottom line, uh, and ultimately the DNA of these organizations towards impact. And so, you know, a big component of, of what we're trying to do as we're on our own regenerative learning journey, as I think we all are right now in this amorphous emerging space right now, is provide as much training and education uh, to these leaders. And so, whereas we often think of students uh, as a younger stage in life, you know, these are these are mid-career individuals who we're trying to give uh, shine a light towards a different paradigm shift in how they do business and how they approach uh, their day-to-day -day relations. And so when it comes to this, this impact, um, we're trying to obviously, you know, inspire and say, this is our biggest opportunity for impact. And whether we're looking at uh, climate change, degraded biosphere, mental health, you know, widespread issues there, polarization, inequality, any of these issues that are part of this myriad poly crisis that we're, we're, we're trying to face right now, how can you come in? And in relationship by relationship, conversation by conversation, really come in with a life-centered, uh, a life-centered capacity and a life-centered approach to doing what you're doing, building what you're building, and growing what you're growing. And and so that's going to be not just uh, you know how can we give education to these individuals like, as they go and look to search for and acquire a business, but ongoing throughout their career. And, you know, as opposed to private equity, again, which looks to buy a company, extract value, flip it a few years later, we're more of a hold core or a long life fund. We're not planning on selling any of these businesses. Things will come up, you know, strategic buyers might come, people's life circumstances might change. But with the, the capital that can be patient to give these entrepreneurs the room to test a different model, to grow a different model of value creation, um, not being pressured for short-term thinking or, or exits or any of those things, we really hope we're we're providing you know an ecosystem uh, a platform for support that can demonstrate a new model to to this type of thriving business culture. 
And this is the real change as well, not just in time and space, how we leave our marks on, on so many different areas that may be beyond us, folks that we will never meet or are two or three layers away over a longer term, which is so radically different from the short-termism of quarter-by-quarter quarter results and really tying even our, our compensation and our performance and everything like that to those numbers. How do we go and and re-educate, if that's the word to use, or, or repurpose or redirect folks towards these new ways of thinking when we're constantly bombarded with growth in GDP and quarterly earnings and so forth? That's the, the $10 billion trillion question, isn't it? You know, we're both fathers, I know. Uh, it's a question that I, I personally grapple with every single day. And I go to bed with every single night. So in, in really addressing the uh, how we do this is more important than what we do. You know, we can have goals and, and commitments and long-term ideas, but really, how does it come back to the present moment conversations and, and uh, the presence that we need in each of these moments to kind of pause, take, take step, take note, and really kind of live into the intentionality of, of you know, capacity, life-supporting life ways of doing things. I'm, I'm continuously in this tension, Benjamin, every single night when I go to bed of, okay, I've got a unique platform here. I've got a partner who is investing tens of millions of dollars. We've got a really unique opportunity in what's happening with the change in the economy. Uh, I feel like I should work some more. I feel like I should spend a couple extra hours. You know, as a sleep and dream teacher, I know more sleep will do better for me. As a father, I know I could be doing things so that I can make more time to spend with my, my daughter and son the next day. But I'm also uh, in tension with this idea of, you know, my grandparents, um, both, both grandfathers fought in World War II. And I think about their generation, you know, that generation had to go to war or their world would have changed quite dramatically for the worse. And I look at our time and I think of this every night, you know, is this the time that we've got to just work our butts off and try and make these shifts and these transitions or else our children won't have the future that we want for them? Balanced with the other side of the spectrum of, no, don't work harder, don't go give everything, don't go back into that men mentality of productivity, efficiency, output, uh, achievement, orientation, be there as a father, just that's going to be just as important. And so uh, rather than being on the spectrum of, of, of that, you know, obviously trying to get uh, reconciliation and, and move beyond to something bigger, that's the tension I play with continuously. And so uh, I think I share all of that because uh, it's the continuous evolving process. It's a continuous learning journey. And we just have to continue to focus on how we do these things is just as important as where, where ultimately we're trying to get them towards. And I love the way you phrase that. And a couple of years ago, or maybe a little bit more than a year ago, we had Stephanie Pace Marshall on the podcast. And, and she really made me aware of how important it is not to ask the question, how, which is the question that I asked you, but to ask, what would it take? Because how is also so mechanistic, so linear, so engineering and process driven. And no matter how often I try to remind myself that I would just get caught in these habits. So I'd love to hear more of your thoughts here. Just go even deeper if possible, because your words are so rich about the moment to moment, about appreciating the fact that this is a massive shift for all of us, but at the same time, they happen every moment. It's not about trying to be completely different from one day to the next, but it's about step by step. How has that played out in your experience? And 
how do we just appreciate the fact that this is such a massive shift in everything that we do and, and act and feel and become? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. And um, well, let's, I'll, I'll get really, really open here with this. You know, a, a big part of how I'm approaching this is in realizing, you know, as much as all of our productivity, efficiency, you know, economic gains, scientific revolutions, all of this has brought us to, to where we are. And we know all of the challenges that's brought us with us. It's this commodified individual uh, loss of relational approach to what we're doing towards bigger goals. There's a big part of, of my process and, and whether that's been, you know, some of the, the more woo aspects of my life, the, the dream work, uh, the plant medicines, the, the just deeper meditation and connection. My process has been, you know, how, how do I bring a sacredness back to all that I'm doing? How does this become, you know, uh, one of your guests, uh, Michelle Holiday, she talks about stewardship in relation to reverence and responsibility. And, and I love this word reverence because uh, it brings something a little bit more, uh, a little bit more magical and a little bit more awesome uh, back to, to life. And so for me, grounding these how approaches back into, you know, that unique potential we're talking about. What is, what is my unique spirit? What is my unique soul? What am I here to, to bring about that no one else can do? How am I doing that in this conversation? How am I remembering that in the intentionality of the bigger picture efforts that I'm working in? Um, has, has been an important part of, of trying to honor uh, the opportunities, the relationships, everything that's coming about here. And, you know, again, being based here in Canada, a big part of, of our work here is, is, is reconciliation. You know, as a, a colonialist country and, and all of the challenges we're facing, when we really look at a lot of the truth and reconciliation, you know, it comes back to, to some of the, the, the oldest wisdoms here of the land and all my relations. And when we bring that reverence and, and sacredness back to these relations, whether that's individuals, our food, the land we live on, uh, I think that's the, the best we can do, uh, or at least the best that, that, that is supporting me in my work right now. And this brings up a question that I'm fascinated with and that you um, kind of alluded to is, is these ancient wisdoms, these ancient traditions. And if we think about capital and capitalism, a system been around probably three, 400 years. Uh, what is it that we can learn from ancient wisdoms, from other economic systems from other relationships, not of trade, but of interaction, where maybe we have things that we do for one another, in one another, how our society is organized. What is it can we learn from non-capitalist or systems that were before capitalism in terms of regenerative capital? Yeah, I like that question. And there's a part of me that wants to answer that. So I've, I've lived in and, and or worked in, in 43 countries now. And uh, I've learned a lot and, and skimmed a lot of surfaces in, in countries about ways of, of working and connecting. And, you know, there's always uh, a tendency to want to go back to golden ages of things. And, and there's just no reality in that. We're we're on a, a progressive march to a new future here. I think I want to address that question um, more so from, uh, again, maybe a, a, a different way, which is uh, coming back to something that's important to me, as I mentioned, dream work. You know, we know that we lost some different ways with 
the scientific re revolution, rationalism, the industrial revolution, all of these things that have been so important and meaningful to, to our growth as a civilization. But again, it got back to commodified approaches. It got back to efficiency. It got back to these are better ways of doing things and really narrowed our lens into learning, understanding, and relating. When I, when I teach dream work, uh, I talk about those societies um, and the society we live in really right now for, for most of Western culture and most of worldwide culture, which is monophasic, meaning we, we really emphasize waking culture. What we do during our waking life is so important. That's where, you know, you achieve, you uh, make your mark. And, and cultures before all of these different revolutions, uh, industrial and, and uh, rational and, and likewise, uh, most cultures and still some today were, were polyphasic, meaning they really honored all states of consciousness. So whether that be in, in wake or in dream time, or in altered states in ceremony or in fasting or in psychedelics or wherever it is all of these different ways of being have something to teach us and and to for us to learn from and so again back to this approach of well capitalism can be a good thing when it's multi-capital when it has lots of different contexts and approaches it's when we get to a mono-capitalist approach when we get to a monophasic uh, approach when we get to one way of believing uh, it doesn't honor the different contexts from which we can see things, from which we can bring these individual uniquenesses to the forefront, from which we can be this beautiful myriad puzzle and, and you know, weaving uh, of what we can bring together. So uh, I, I think that's that's a really important part of whatever our next evolution here is, or maturing as a civilization of getting away from uh, this this way back to a, a plethora of ways. Tell us more about the cohort that you're putting together and what that might look like. Yeah, so we are uh, we just closed our recruitment actually as of midnight last night, and so we uh, we are going to be recruiting upwards of only six entrepreneurs, and uh, really the the opportunity is immense. Again, you don't need any capital. We want to buy you a business. We want you to go find a business. We want you to take it on an evolutionary journey. We want you to look at all of its relations and, and try to make it as regenerative uh, of an ambassadorship as possible in its sector. And we're going to go through a very rigorous, thorough process of vetting uh, these, these individuals, both from a, a fit uh, for us as, as partners and funds uh, as a fund, and ultimately because we're going to be investing millions into these individuals and into their careers and into their endeavors. And we're going to play, be playing together for hopefully a very long time. And so ultimately in January, when these individuals begin working with us, we're going to teach them about traditional ETA entrepreneurship through acquisition. How do you go and search for and acquire and negotiate and take over a legacy company? And then how do you step into a leadership role and, and change management and move this company forward? All whilst, all whilst teaching them about regenerative leadership, you know, these principles and processes, not what you go out and do, but who you need to become uh, to take the, this opportunity on its, you know, on its proper journey. And so that's, that's the learning journey we're, we're going on. And we've got a lot of support from a lot of, well, I should say a wide ecosystem of, of individuals and investors who are aligned with this mission. And, and that's really what we're looking for. We're going to move at the speed of trust here. We're going to move with capital that aligns with this vision. We're going to move with entrepreneurs that align with this vision. Um, and, and we'll grow with, with business owners that, that want to sell their company to you know, a stewardship that, that can take their business forward in this way.
So this is one of the shoots that's coming out of Cordell Jacks. What other ones might be around on your horizons? Yeah, there's uh, there's there's a couple of different things. I'll say that this is the the busiest chapter of my life. Maybe I'll be able to say that every day for the rest of my life. But definitively, between a five month old and a soon to be five year old, uh, trying to be as as good a father and husband and community member as possible, whilst launching uh, an ambitious initiative. Uh, it's really about prioritization right now. So really, there are three things on my priority list. That's family, health, and and this opportunity. Uh, we really believe that this could be a, a big change maker. Outside of that, my business partner, who is uh, a very wise man, you know, he he says prioritization has to be in fun, and he will stop me. I'll, I'll come and. Once in a while, I'll sit down at his place and I'll say, you know, Mike, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit stressed on this and this is happening. What are we going to do? This didn't go the way and I just stop. This has to be fun. If we're not doing this with joy, if we're not doing this from a place of abundance, we shouldn't be doing it. And so he's a, he's a good grounding factor in this. And so part of that how again is um, just reminding myself, um, whatever, whatever comes up here, if it's, if it's energizing, if it's regenerative, uh, then, then pour yourself into it. If it's not, uh, then, then reground to, to how it might be. I absolutely love that. And that reminds us about the moment to moment and the decisions that we make when we're at these cross points. Is it joyful? Does it come from a place of abundance? Does it contribute to the thriving of life? Exactly. Listen, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Um, and um, is there any way people can get a hold of you or find you? Yeah, thank you. First of all, Benjamin, the, the work you're doing here is really important. It's been important to me, and I know it's important to many others. So uh, kudos. Uh, I, I can be easily found on regenerativecapitalgroup.com. And LinkedIn is, is my main platform for outreach. So uh, for anyone who's interested, uh, we are continuing to, uh, to grow an ecosystem of values aligned individuals to support this journey that we're on. And we'd love to hear from you. This has been the Coconut Thinking Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Check out our website, www.coconut-thinking.com. Find resources there, articles, more podcasts, links to webinars. Again, it's www.coconut-thinking.com. And you can also check us out as well as some great authors and podcasters on Intrepid at www.intrepidatnews.com. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.